Hello and welcome to this special bonus episode of The Dairy Edge. Chagas are running a weekly Let's Talk Dairy webinar series, which is also being made available as a podcast. On this week's webinar, Padraig O'Connor from Chagas, Michelle McGrath from the AHI and Andrew Hogan from the FRS joined Stuart Childs to discuss milking efficiency, including best practice in cow flow, milking routine and mastitis control. Okay, so good morning, everyone, and welcome to today's webinar. Today, we're going to focus on smarter milking, so milking more efficiently. So first off, I'll start by thanking Padraig O'Connor, so, because Padraig has been responsible for the, the organisation and coordination of today's webinar. Uh, he'll be speaking himself now in a minute about um, smarter milking, we'll say, and milking more efficiently. So look, I suppose, since uh, the quotas went and so forth, obviously there's a greater number of rows of cows going through parlours and I've spoken about it there in the last couple of weeks in terms of needing to change liners and Michelle McGrath, who will be speaking there later, will have ri- has written about the same topic in um, the AHI uh, June newsletter there as well, that it's important to pe- for people to change liners as numbers of rows increase. So there's a couple of elements that imp- in influence how... Um, Milking can be done efficiently. So uh, we have Andrew Hogan from FRS Training who's going to talk to us about the actual cow flow process. So that can actually have a significant impediment of how quickly cows can be milked depending on the way they're moving in and out of the farmyard and through the parlour and so forth. And Andrew's going to talk a bit about that. Then Padraig is going to be down in the pit if we were actually on farm. That's where Padraig always is for these events, is down in the pit describing the process of actually cluster attachment, how you can do it efficiently uh, and how you can do it more efficiently because uh, and also the positives and I suppose this time last year we would have spoken about the whole role of that milking process in the pit in relation to repetitive strain injury and we had some of the physios from Care Physio talking about it that time and then finally the last uh, presentation today is going to be Michelle McGrath so Michelle is uh, the assistant uh, program manager for cell check with AHI uh, and Michelle is going to speak about mid-season um, mastitis control and the, the approaches people can take to minimise cell count spread during the course of the, the season. Okay, so as uh, in, in we're going to follow the in, in terms of getting the cow flow right now, we're going to follow the flow correctly. So Andrew's going to start by talking us through the actual cow flow process. So bringing the cows to the parlour, through the parlour, and, and away, and then we'll move to Padraig after that. So I'll ask you to start sharing your screen there, so Padraig. And I encourage people to ask questions as we go along, or Andrew, sorry, and I encourage people to ask questions as we move along through the presentations and we'll deal with them at the end of each presentation, okay? So thanks, Andrew. Thanks for that, Stuart, and thanks very much for the invitation today, Parik. So yeah, we're just going to talk, I just kicked things off talking a little bit about cow flow, take maybe 10 minutes to just talk about cow flow, what it is, how it should look on farm, and maybe look at a couple of issues that might crop up on your typical dairy farm that hinder cow flow and maybe just have a look at maybe different areas that everyone could look at on their own farm at farm level and maybe small improvements that could make um well could make a difference for 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 the good so just a brief outline on on the presentation here today just we're going to cover objectives then understanding cow flow and then i've broken cow flow into three different areas the first area being the cow track itself uh, then the collecting yard and milking parlor or infrastructure we'll say around that and then humor, human behavior and interaction. So basically how ultimately the, the milker um, and how they interact with the herd of cows, how that can have a very positive or maybe not so positive effect on cow flow. So just the objective then is just to understand the cow flow, understanding what it is, what it should look like, identifying problems, 
you know, taking corrective actions at farm level and then a little bit of maybe self-reflection. So what is cow flow? Well, cow flow quite simply is just a movement of the herd of cows to and through the milking parlour from where they've been feeding and resting. And this movement needs to be both smooth and efficient. So just a couple of kind of key pointers or just key words to take away there. It's to and through the milking parlour and back again to where they've come from. Look, we all know in an ideal world, every day cows would be out to grass and grazing and coming in the cow track through the milking parlour and back out again. That's not always the case. So just today and maybe for just this presentation, we'll just focus on as if the cows are out to grass. We know buffer feeding, different shoulders of the year, so on, that you know, cow flow can become a bit of a challenge because cows aren't just coming directly to and from the, from, from the paddock. So I just want to acknowledge that, but just say for this presentation, maybe we're focusing on bringing them from the paddock into milking power and they're going back out there again. And then that movement needing to be smooth and efficient. So basically we want to kind of go like cow flow, either I suppose the word kind of gives us even a picture of what it should look like. It's basically flowing. So it's not kind of stopping, starting and on and at a different pace. So it kind of has should have, have a, a kind of a natural flow to it. So as I said, we've broken down to three areas. The first one we want to focus on being the cow track or the cow roadway or whatever way you want to put it. And I've broken that then down into three other areas, uh, subsequent areas, which is the width, the surface and the camber. So I just try to keep things very kind of simple and we'll try to stick to some of the main points because basically, I suppose if we were just to talk about everything, this could go on for, for two or three hours. So just getting down to the brass tacks, what width of a cow track do we need? So what I see going around the countryside is there's an awful lot of cow tracks out there are roughly in the region of four meters in width. And that's, that's a fine track for say up to maybe 150 cows. I suppose just the one issue that we're finding with a track that's under five meters is with a four meter wide track, you only have one area in which say farm machinery can travel. Now in an ideal world, we'd love that only cows would be on the cow track, but being realistic, particularly the shoulders of the year and so on, you know, the tractors, slurry tankers, fertilizer spreaders, surplus bales, there's so many other use, uses for the cow track where basically a tractor is traveling in and out, in and out, in and out also. And with a four meter wide track, the, the, there's no movement. You cannot move left or right. So basically what you end up, and you can see this so clearly, if you just look down a track that's been used, that's four meters in wide, you basically have two gullies. And that is where the farm machinery is traveling. Two gullies, which will fill with water, which ultimately the track will go to bits. So instead of starting maybe with a four meter wide track, we're trying to encourage people now start with a five meter wide track. And then basically you're up to 150 cows. And then for every kind of 100 cows larger than that, we're adding on 0.5 a meter. And I suppose the other thing to say about width is this, and Pori just highlighted this to me, and it's very important just to mention it, that the fence of the, when you fence the cow track, that you'd fence it 0.5 a meter into the paddock or away from the edge of the cow track, basically to literally allow the cow's belly, if you like, have an overhang as she walks on the edge of the track. What you will find is if you fence it, say, let's just take your four meter wide track again as an example. If you fence a four meter wide track right against the edge with your fence, within about 18 months, it will actually have reduced by a meter, by half a meter on both sides. So basically your grass and your dirt and so on will actually grow in. Why? Because it's not being tracked. So just make sure you're going to utilize the full width of the track. And how you do that is you basically move your fence or have your fence 0.5 a meter into, in, away from the edge of the track or in towards the, the feeding area, if you like. Second area to look at is surface. And look at, as, there's no, there's no um, magic science here. 
a lot of people when they're putting down surfaces say, well, you know, in our area, we can only get this, you know, a certain type of aggregate. And basically you've got to work with what you can source. You're relatively close to your area. But I suppose just the key consideration here is, is that whatever aggregate you're using as the wearing course or as basically what the cows will be standing on, that it's going to be a flash. It's not going to be like a round aggregate. That's the main consideration. So you're looking for a shale or you're looking for some sort of sliggy style uh, finish or course, on, uh, finishing a wearing course on your, on your track. And after that, then it's basically rolled, 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 get it rolled. And just to bear in mind, you know, when you put on a track, it doesn't just stop there. So any repairs and so on that need to be done, again, you're going to get it repaired before it unravels and roll it in well. And just avoiding at all cost a kind of a round pebble style aggregate on, as the wearing course or on top where the cows will actually be walking. And the third area to look at is camber. And this is probably what causes most tracks difficulty. And um, basically the camber is the slope. And I just want to give it just a quick mention. When it comes to camber, we always want to remember uh, cross compliance here. So if you're going to look at your camber on your track and you're saying, well, look, at, I need to increase it or whatever the case may be, just be careful. Just be careful that you're actually uh, sloping your track away from a water course, um, particularly from, from a cross-compliance point of view. So ideally, cows love a completely level or flat track. That's exactly what cows would want. But we can't give them that. The reason being, we've got to get the water off. So second best to that is to have a camber going in two directions. Just bearing in mind, that may not be possible if there's a water course either side. But the, the, the best type track you could get is a track that's going to have a height in the middle and a slope off to both sides. And what we're looking at there in terms of a gradient, we're talking about five, six, seven percentage of a, of a slope. Anything greater than that, cows will avoid it. Anything less than that, you're going to have ponding. So the sweet spot there is five, six, seven percent as a, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a gradient to get the water off, but cows are still comfortable to walk on the full width of the track. Moving on from cow track then, just looking at the collecting yard, milking parlor, or just infrastructure in around where you bring the cows basically into milk. On the yard, again, uh, the first point we look at there is size. So what size of the yard do we need? What size is our herd of cows going to be comfortable with? And always thinking ahead, you know, am I going to increase, you know, three, four, five years time? Where am I going to be here with cow numbers? And just a quick, a quick note to make there on size. We're looking at 1.5 meters squared for your smaller crossbed style cow, whereas you're looking at maybe a 1.8 meters squared for your big Holstein cow. And just a, a quick note on that, that, that has been maybe um, bumped up a little bit in the last maybe 18 months. So you know, 18 months ago, it would be maybe accepted to be 0.25 less than that per cow. So just to be aware of that. The other side thing we're looking at here is shape. And a lot of farmers get hung up on shape. What shape is best? Should I go for a round? Should I have a rectangular or so on? You know, on a greenfield site, well, you can choose whatever you want. Very often you're trying to fit a collecting yard in around infrastructures there already. But what's even kind of more important than shape is that you actually like have it big enough. So just to be aware, you know, there's pros and cons to both, as in for a circular uh, collecting yard or a rectangular collecting yard. Obviously, a circular collecting yard is going to be more difficult to increase size. So if you fit a 200 cow uh, circular collecting yard, it's very difficult or quite difficult to have that, bump that up to 250 or 300. Rectangular is not such a challenge. The great thing about a circular uh, collecting yard at the same time is if you're running a mob of 400 cows, and you split that in two. So you have a mob of 200 and another mob of 200. So they come in 
uh, independent to each other. You can bring them both into the collecting yard by using your backing gate. So basically your backing gate is like the, like the hand on a clock. So you can still fill your 400 cows into your collecting yard or something close to it, and you can still use your backing gate. So you don't have to clear the yard, bring backing gate back like you would with a rectangular yard. So they've, got, they both, they've both got their pros and cons, but just to be careful that when you are, you, you actually kind of think it through um, that, and that you'll choose the right shape. The surface, again, it's not rocket science. You know, cows need uh, confidence. So what they don't want, they won't be coming in and be skidding all over the place. So what the best thing we can do here is have a groove from day one. So some sort of a diamond type, uh, type roller that will give a kind of a finish that the cows will be confident to walk on. And if that's not the case, well, you can get a groove. It's not difficult or even to groove it yourself. And I've already mentioned the backing gate. And I suppose just on that to say, you know, backing gates, they do work well. They do help cow flow. However, on occasion, they're used as a bulldozer. And that is just, it's just wrong. It's not what a backing gate is for. So what a backing gate quite simply is for is as your cows move forward voluntarily, the backing gate basically fills the gap behind the cows. So it just keeps them forward. Now, the backing gate does have a hock rail on. A lot of farmers are inclined to think, well, there's a hock rail there, we've got to use it, i.e. push the cows forward. No, that's for the odd occasional lazy cow that literally just stands there. And she's just been, she's just been, uh, she's just been awkward. It may just give her bumper forward. So just be careful if you have a backing gate that it's on like a push switch. So you push the switch in, backing gate will move forward by one meter and stop. So it's not a case of a switch it on and you forget to switch it off. And all of a sudden you find the cows are just being pushed in on top of the, on top of the pit. So backing gates work well, but they're not a bulldozer. So then looking at the milk and power itself, one of the big, uh, of the big areas of, of, that will help from a cow flow point of view is to increase or have as much natural light in the parlor as you can. So basically you want the same kind of lighting in the collecting yard as you do in the parlor. That could be a very simple fix. Uh, maybe replace a couple of clear lights, um, you know, or, or side sheeting or end sheeting in the shed. Whatever case, whatever you can do to get as much natural light into the Megan parlor as possible. And obviously there is the situations where there's still parlors out there who have, are lofted and so on, where that maybe, maybe isn't uh, possible. Well, then I suppose the option then is maybe you could roof a certain area of your collecting yard, directly where the collecting yard is going into the milking parlor. So basically the cows are introduced to that lighting before they actually have to come into their actual stalls, if you like. Um, another area I suppose to look at there is 90 degree bends, 90 degree turns. So, you know, a lot of milking parlors out there, I don't know what is the percentage, but it's a high, high, high number of milking parlors out there where, you know, cows come into the collecting yard, maybe turn 90 degree right or left in, up into the parlor, up to the top of the parlor, meet a big bulkhead, half turn, you know, 90 left or right to exit again because the dairy is directly in front. So that may be an issue, as in you may be able to maybe move that dairy to one side as part of your expansion, or if you're going from, you know, a starting point now, well, maybe you'd consider getting cows directly into the power from the back and being able to exit directly without turning left or right to get out again. So anywhere where you can reduce that turning at a 90 degree angle uh, is obviously a benefit to cow flow. Uh, also, the surface in the milking parlor, you know, cows need to have confidence. Same thing applies as out in the collecting yard where you do need to be grooved or better again from day one for it to actually have a texture on it. And then milking routine, I've just put in there. I'm not going to cover much about that because Pauric is going to cover it in greater detail. But basically, cows love routine. And when it comes to cow flow, it's routine all the way. So you're doing the same thing and you have a good routine and you're doing the same thing twice a day, every day. 
cows basically love it and they'll just literally come into the parlor uh, an awful lot happier and in more content and a more kind of an orderly fashion as opposed to every day you're kind of starting at a different time and you're forgetting to do this and you're doing a gate and then you're spraying and then you're not and then you're washing and you're not you know anything that kind of knocks cows out of routine will slow down cow flow and it basically becomes a bit more of a challenge so the third area i'm going to look, going to look at here is human interaction and behavior and i'll just say on this is you know this doesn't cost you a penny so we've talked about the infrastructure we've talked about cow track we've talked about so much that needs to be done or could be done but basically to look at your own situation whether it be yourself or your staff or whoever is going to milk your herd of cows it doesn't cost it, it doesn't cost anything really to upskill or to just to have um the human interaction or behavior to be where it ought to be and this just isn't just in the milking power so this begins I've written there, droving the cows from the field. And I've just put a note there beside it, heads up, heads down. I'm going to cover that in a small bit more detail. So I won't just talk about much about it now. But just to say, if you get into the habit of, you know, flying out from the quad and driving the cows into the milking parlor in your cow track or sending somebody else out on the gate or whatever the case may be, or a jeep, or you're sending a dog after them or something like that, you're going to have issues. And cow flow is not going to be as it ought to be. So, you know, you need to just kind of look at your own situation. What, what, how, how, how do I go about bringing the cows in? Do I have a time latch on it where basically half the cows are wandering in the cow roadway before I ever think about going for them? So that's the kind of mentality we need to have. So I suppose just to look at your own situation and see, could I just make a very little simple fix here, which would improve cow flow? So then talk about moving cows in and out of the, in and out of the parlor. I don't know how clear that picture is on your screen, but basically what you see there is, a lot of farmers will say, look, look, cows are very slow to get out of the parlor. So I don't have an issue maybe with cow flow per se, but they actually do. So they're kind of hushing cows out and, and pushing them on, obviously with, you know, sticks and stuff, that's completely out of the question. But even shouting at them and kind of hushing them on, hushing them on. But in, 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 uh, you know, in a way, they're actually slowing down cow flow because as you kind of get, get into that frame of mind to be talking to cows and pushing them and pushing them, maybe talking not so much, but even shouting at them or kind of getting aggressive. But what you're actually doing is the cows that are looking in thinking, well, we don't really want any part of this. So you might be getting the cows out as you think speeding things up, but the cows coming in behind, well, they're not so inclined to come in. So it's just, again, you in the milking power might be fine, but you know, maybe if somebody coming in weekends or something like that, make sure all the staff are on the same page here. No sticks, no talking, call the cows in that's no that's pro, that's no problem so just to be just to be aware that both yourself and your entire staff are all kind of singing off the same hymn sheet and then basically have farmers behavior during milking and what i mean by that is it's not just necessarily the the, the same point as the one above you know it's all right to be under pressure occasionally in the pit in the milking parlor when it comes to cow flow so what i mean by that is there will be occasions when you're under a little bit of pressure time pressure or whatever the case may be that's fine that's life but if you consistently find yourself rushing, or if you consistently find yourself under pressure in the milking parlor, are you tired, you're hungry, you're under pressure, as in you're trying to hurry things on, there's a problem. And you need to basically examine where you are, as in what changes can I make? Is it just starting half an hour earlier? Is it getting somebody else to do something else for me? Is it getting a contractor to do something to take the pressure off? That basically leaves you in a frame of mind where you can be at your peak when you're milking cows morning and evening. To me, it's probably one that it is the most probably the most important thing you could do for your day. It's basically what 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 signs the check. So, you know, if you find yourself consistently under pressure, 
uh, in the milk and parlor, there's an issue. And, you know, I just encourage people just to maybe just look at their own situation and see, can I make a small tweak here somewhere that lifts, you know, the pressure off me that I'm basically in better form. Um, I'm not tired. I'm not hungry, whatever the case may be. And as a result, there's no doubt about it, cow flow will improve. What I would say on that is a lot of, you know, a comment I hear sometimes is, you know, I was under pressure. And of course, the very time I was under pressure, the cow seemed to go slower. That's not a coincidence. That happens. So the more you actually try, hurry things up, the more difficulties you will actually encounter. So cows coming in agitated when you do get them in, you know, dung and so on. So basically, it, it, it just is a very clear picture. You know, the more quicker I want them to go, the slower they seem to go. That happens. So I think that in itself is, is a fairly clear indication of, of what, we, what we need, to, what we need to, to, to look at. Just in a quick summary then, three things that anyone can do. Observe the cow flow at a distance. So what I say here is when you're driving, you're droving your cows or you're bringing them in, in the cow track, you know, you could really have 200 cows in front of you. Now, the first 15, 20 cows meet a problem, a pinch point, uh, a rough area on the track, somewhere the gradient isn't right. They slow down, their heads come up, but you don't see it. You literally could be half a kilometer behind them. So what I'm trying to encourage farmers here to do is, if at all possible, stand back and watch your cows coming in your cow track and into the collecting yard, being milked and going out the far end. And by standing back at a distance, you will see so clearly where the problems are. And by that, I mean, when you're watching your flow, that drift of cows coming in the cow track, where you see cows where heads are starting to come up, there's the problem. So highlight that. Okay, I'm going to examine that point there, where that particular bend is or where that particular area of the track is. There's a problem there because cows walking in, heads down, that's the way. That's the way they should be. Likewise in the collecting yard. If you're looking at the collecting yard and you see cows, you know, they're, all, they're getting agitated and next thing their heads are coming up, there's a problem. There's a problem in the collecting yard. It's too, it, there's not enough space. The back and gaze is putting them under pressure. The milker is putting them under pressure. There's a problem. So the odd one head comes up, grand. She's in heat. Good job. But all these cows' heads coming up, there's an issue. But you won't see that when you're in the pit, nor will you see it when you're driving them in and you're standing 200 cows uh, behind them. So you're going to have to step back and almost take like a bird's eye view, if you like, of the situation. You'll see the problems, and then you can actually basically take a, a corrective action. The next thing I just say very quickly, check your track. Check your track. That's all I can say. Walk it. Take a dander down your cow track, not when you're milking, completely, you know, some Sunday afternoon. Walk down your cow track. What are you looking for? You're looking for grass. If there's grass, there's a problem. Why? Because the cows are avoiding it. More than likely, it's rough. So it has got rough on you. Farm machinery or something has swept aggregates out to the edge. Maybe it's on a bend or something like that. There's an issue. You need to address it. Likewise, what are you looking for? You're looking for a track within a track. And by, the, by that, what I mean is you could have a five meter wide track, lovely track, six, seven, eight meters wide, whatever. It doesn't matter. But... If you've got cows walking in single file on a particular area of that track, and generally you'll have two or three areas across the track, then you've got a problem. What's the problem? It's camber. Why? Because the cows are avoiding the steep areas. So they're walking at the bottom, out of both sides, and they're walking up the middle. Your, your camber is too steep. So again, look for a track within a track. And if you have that, they're not utilizing the full width. They're selecting where they're walking. You've got an issue with camber. And the third issue, uh, the third point I just made there is, I just put down, look in the mirror. Okay, what I mean by that is a bit of self-reflection. Look at your own situation and look at yourself. You and the entire team that's milking the cows. 
Are you all doing the same thing? Have you got a good routine? And when you're milking cows, are you calm? Are you, are you under control? And basically, are you enjoying it? If you're enjoying it, I guarantee you the cows are enjoying it too. If you're under pressure, so are they. So I'm not going to say any more on this. Look, and I'm happy to take questions if there's time or whatever afterwards. But all I would say is, is cow flow, to me, it's a fascinating subject. And look, at, there's, there's an awful lot to it, but it's very, very simple. So there's nothing complicated about it. So I'm just going to finish on that and I'll hand back over to you, Stuart. Is that right? Yeah, perfect, Andrew. That's great. So Thanks, I think uh, your final point is, uh, is like to check your own behavior, but all of what you said beforehand actually will lead into how your actual behavior is because it is very frustrating to be behind cows bringing them in and they're going very slowly. But in reality, it's, the, it's probably what they're walking on, the surfaces that they're walking on is, is causing them to go slow. So if you could improve the surface, that could lend to you being a little less frustrated by the time you actually arrive at the milking parlour than to go milking. And then the other thing that I see a good bit is actually cows being held. Now, in some cases, that can't be helped because cows may have to cross roads or whatever. But uh, invariably, it's a comment that you'll always find when a, or meet when a person puts in an underpass or whatever to cross a road that the cow flow just improves dramatically because, like you said, the cows just know that they're when you open the gate at the front of the parlour, they're not going anywhere, so they're not in any panic to go anywhere. So it, that contributes to the frustration of the person in the pit then again. And as you said, like that self-reflection piece is actually just almost tied in with, as you said, walking down the roadway, looking at the layout of the, of the facilities, basically to see what can you improve to actually make the flow of, of the cows much better and that will improve your own situation then. And then, of course, there's a couple of hot-headed people out there that just are hot-headed by nature and they just need to calm down, basically, when it comes to milking time, really, I suppose. So, all right, perfect. Uh, if you have any questions there, you can put them in there on the question Q&A and we can put them to Andrew. Um, but we'll move on to Podrick. So, as I said, Podrick is the man who <clears> coordinated all of today. Uh, and this is Podrick's uh, speciality talking about uh, milking routine and he's been involved in several bits and pieces down through the years in terms of courses with FRS, but also some of the lean work that Marion uh, Beecher and Abigail Ryan have been doing of late. So we would have had him involved in with Aidan Ahern last year when we were talking about trying to uh, maximize the, the productivity of his parlor uh, before he'd consider increasing the parlor size. So Padraig, you're just going to uh, go through your, your a short video just to show the cluster attachment and then your presentation. So you're good to go there anyway. Yep. Uh, thanks, for, thanks very much, George. You can see that the presentation and you can hear me yeah. okay? Yeah, yeah, that's great. Uh, good morning, everybody. Uh, as George has said, you know, I'm going to concentrate on, on follow on from what Andrew has spoken about. And it's just what happens in the pit itself. Um, you know, so what am I going to cover? I suppose, you know, the objectives of a good milking routine, you know, why have one? Uh, preparation for milking, and that, that's both the parlor and the milker. Uh, efficient milking process of the herringbone parlor, followed by efficient milking process of the rosary parlor. You know, rosary parlors are getting, are, are getting more common with bigger herds. And I suppose the last one is just washing up and I suppose it's a comment that has been made to me by, by a number of farmers over the last couple of years is, you know, um, God, I put in a new parlor, it's taken me a long time to wash up. So maybe it's just a couple of tips that I have, I have actually uh, found out from farmers myself in terms of maybe speeding that up a little bit. Um, so I suppose the objectives, look, it's always a given, you know, the production of top quality milk is the first one, followed by safety for the milker and for the cow. 
And I suppose the last one is efficient use of time spent milking as well. And I suppose I, I, I'm not talking about cutting corners. It's just being efficient with your time in the parlour. And it's amazing. I, I have looked at a number of milkers over the last number of years. And it's amazing. You know, there's some very good milkers out there. And there's some not so very good milkers out there as well. You know, so, and it's just tweaking that a little bit. Tweaking what you do in the pit. Preparation for milking. Not going to spend too long on this. It's really, you know, I suppose the big thing here is having the parlour ready before the cows hit the collecting yard. And I suppose the other thing is, you know, wetting down the parlour before the cows come in because it's easier to wash it afterwards as well. I suppose the other thing is, and it, it, it's, again, it's a given for me, you know, whether it's a parlour suit or a, a milking apron, just make sure it's clean and make sure you keep it clean during the milking. Nitrile gloves is a given as well. Now, Michelle is going to mention that. I'm not going to go into detail about it. But again, keeping your hands, keeping your gloved hands clean. And I suppose I, I would consider the milker a kind of a conduit between the milking parlour and the cow. And good milkers, you know, won't transfer an infection. Bad milkers will. You know, so keeping yourself clean and disinfectant, particularly if you have a cow with mastitis, you know, that look, at it's common sense. Wash down your gloves afterwards. Disinfect your, your hands with the tea spray that's beside you anyway. Okay, so just a bit of common sense. Raw filling, I'm not going to get, get into detail. Andrew has covered this very comprehensively in his slide. The one point that I'd want to make here is, you know, the aim here is to, you know, you want to try to stay in the pit as much as possible during milking. So for example, if the milker goes out into the collecting yard, what tends to happen is that the cows will actually go to the back of the collecting yard, away from the parlor, and it completely disrupts cow flow. You know, so if you can, you know, and Andrew has went through this very comprehensively and very, very, very well, you know, you know, the milker really should be staying in the pit uh, all the time. Proper, you know, preparing the cow. Look, I'll be brief here. Really what you want is closest to quantity, clean, dry teats. On the right hand side, you can see, look, at best practice suggests that we draw cows. It's not been done in a lot of bigger parlors now at the moment. But however, I suppose a compromise that, that some farmers are, are, are making now is that during the springtime, when maybe the bacteria load is a little bit larger than at this time of the year, you know, they're stripping cows at that particular stage so as to pick up mastitis maybe a little bit quicker, okay? I suppose preparing in batches and, and look at if you can bear with me here because of a video as well, maybe which might explain it a little bit better. Um, look, this is a 10 unit parlor. So what I'm suggesting here is that you split the parlour up into two batches of five. So let's say the cows on the right-hand side here are being milked. The operator maybe preps the five on the left-hand row, the, the, the first five on the left-hand side, transfers the clusters from the right-hand side to the left-hand side, and then sprays the five cows that he's after taking the clusters off, he or she's after taking the clusters off of. So I suppose you're doing a lot of work in, in the front part of the parlour. You're reducing the amount of walking. Um, and you're moving back. I suppose there's a couple of points there. One is the operator starting from the front of the parlor, working your way back. So it's when you get to the back of the parlor, you can open the exit gate of the row of cows you're taking the clusters off of. And those cows can actually be filtering out of the parlor uh, as, as you're transferring the last, depending on the size of the parlor, but you know, depending on uh, the last one or two clusters. So I suppose, again, you know, the cows are moving and you're moving, you know, you're actually working. And I suppose, as Andrew said earlier, you know, the cows are going out at their own pace, so you're saving time. And it's amazing if you save maybe one or two minutes per row, even on that particular aspect alone, you know, 
you could, and you have a number of rows, you can see where, the, where, the, where, where that's going. Bunny hopping, and I suppose this is maybe an expression that's used in New Zealand quite a bit. Um, it's in bigger parlors, um, and I suppose, you know, there's two ways you can actually milk cows in, in a bigger parlor. One is, you know, the first milker concentrates on the first half of the parlor, and the second milker concentrates on the second half of the parlor. However, we've seen that that's not the most efficient way. So I suppose the most efficient way is if milker one starts off, maybe the first five cows or whatever, milker two goes to the next, uh, the, the next five, and each milker is spraying that, you know, the number that the closest they're taking off of as well. Uh, milker one, again, you know, hops down to the next five and so on and so forth. That's the most efficient way. In bigger parlors, um, um, you know, the operator, uh, sorry, the clusters will be waiting for the operator to put on, put, on the, put on the clusters. Okay, so you're cutting down on idle time if you actually implement a system like bunny hopping here, particularly in bigger parlors. And again, you're starting at the front and working your way back in springs, you go back along as well. Just in relation to cluster changing, um, I suppose the point that I'm trying to get across here, and, and, and I suppose people throw their eyes up to heaven sometimes when, they, when I come up with this slide, but I suppose it's trying to um, uh, use both hands when you're attaching clusters. So I suppose very, very briefly, um, so this is the right-hand side of the parlor here. And again, you know, how, like which is, which is right and which is left. You're always standing with your back to the collecting yard, facing in the same direction as the cows. Okay, so, so when you attach, when the operator is attaching the, the clusters on the right-hand side, you're holding the cluster with the left hand. However, when the, when the operator is, is attaching clusters on the left-hand row, you're holding the cluster with the right hand. So you're, you're distributing the load over both hands. And I suppose that why it's, it's, you're, you're reducing what is called repetitive strain injury. Um, so, so maybe Stuart, I, I might play just, a, it's a, a very short video um, um, in relation to, it might just explain it a little bit better. Cluster attachment. When attaching the clusters, keep the pulse and milk tubes on the cow exit side of you, ensuring that they are not in the way when moving to the next cluster. Hold the cluster with the hand closest to the cow exit side, usually the hand nearest to the dairy. Kink the tail of the liner when attaching the cow's teat, and also guide the teat into the teat cup with your finger. Attach the teat cups in a circular motion, starting with the one closest to the thumb of the hand holding the cluster. Changing hands will help ensure the risk of repetitive strain injury is minimized and that you have a better reach when attaching the cluster. Making sure that the cluster hangs on the cow evenly will help to ensure that all four quarters are milked out completely. Cluster attachment right hand side. Hold cluster in left hand and work clockwise, placing first teat cup on the left hind teat. Followed by left front, and then right front, and finally the last teat cup on the right hind teat. Cluster attachment left hand side. Hold cluster in right hand and work anti-clockwise.
placing first teat cup on the right hind teat, followed by right front and then left front. And finally, the last teat cup goes on the left hind teat. When attaching clusters on the left-hand side of the parlour, the teat cups are attached in an anti-clockwise direction. Teat spray in the same sequence. Cover the entire barrel of the teat with a visible drop at the end. Applying the teat spray soon after milking will protect the teat end from bacterial infection while it is still open. Cluster alignment. Make sure that the cluster hangs on the cow properly. Good cluster alignment is where the cluster hangs in line with the cow's backbone when applied between the back legs. Okay, Stuart. Uh, did that come across okay? Yeah, perfect. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so I suppose it's it's trying to um, we're doing the best we can. You know, normally we'd be in the parlor, you know, trying to explain this, but um, you know, hopefully that kind of puts some some meat on the bones in terms of what I'm trying to explain here. You know, so um, teeth disinfection. Um, look, at, I'm not going to delay on this because Michelle will be covering that. But look at you know what you are trying to achieve here is cover the whole battle of the teeth from tip to top. You know, uh, um, you know, so, so I, and again, you know, with, with teeth spraying, you need a little bit more compared to dipping. So I, I, I leave that to Michelle. So I suppose um, it's a little bit quicker about Podrick as well, though, the spraying, like. It is quicker as well, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like, um, I, I was in a parlor actually yesterday and uh, the, the, the man was dipping and he's milking 120 cows. Now, that's unusual to say the least. You know what I mean? Normally it's, it's yeah, yeah. And, and I'd say if you were to suggest to some farmers, you know, you'd need to use the tea cup. <laughs> they tell you where to go, you know. Um, politely, of course. Politely, absolutely. Politely, Stuart, yeah. Uh, look, at, I'm just throwing this up here because I think it's, it's getting so more, it, it's, 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 it's getting more and more important in terms of if I'm suggesting to you, you know, um, that the, 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 the milker needs to stay in the pit, you need to have a drafting facility. Now, the, the image on the left-hand side is, is a manual system. And I suppose that works best where maybe, as Andrew has alluded to earlier, you know, that the cows go straight out of the parlour, the dairy is in the front, you know, and that works quite well. And I suppose the other one on the left-hand side is, is an automatic system. You know, look at whatever system you have, you need some sort of a system, particularly during the breeding period when you're taking out maybe numbers of cows over, over a number of weeks, you know, so, so you need... You need some sort of a drafting system. So, so just key drivers of efficiency in the herringbone parlor, just to put it all together, I suppose you're talking about start milking, start milking from the front of the parlor, you know, and you don't have to wait for the whole row of cows to be in, you know, start attaching closest once the first three or four are in place. Um, work in batches and teeth spray as you go. So, so, so that will enable you to maybe um, open the exit gate when you're at the back of the parlor and the cows are, are, are filtering out while you're transferring the last couple of clusters. Uh, practice bunny hopping with two milkers. Um, um, I explained that in, in a slide earlier. 
Um, and it, look, as Andrew mentioned it, but again, efficient use of the backing gate, it, it's, it's so, so important, you know, that you're actually, as Andrew said, you're taking, the, you're, you're taking up the space in the yard as opposed to pushing the cows in and opening the, opening the exit get early, you know, so as, you know, filter, let, letting those cows filter out and, and, and you're working away as well. And I suppose the other thing I put in there is, and I think it's getting more and more common, you know, but it should be more common is, you know, the, the having standard operating procedures in place, particularly, well, any parlor, but particularly if you have numbers of milkers coming in to, to milk your cows, you know, because it's, you know, like, Milkers, particularly when they're starting off to milk in a place, they're not going to pick up everything the first day. And it's, it's, it's grand to be able to go back and, God, what did he say or what did she say there in terms of what's my next step? If it's written down there and it should be beside where you're working, you know, I think it's, actually, it, it's, it's fantastic. And actually trainees will tell you as well that they love something like that because they can go back to it instead of annoying the owner in terms of, you know, what, how do I get over this or what do I do next? Key drivers of efficiency in the rotary parlor. Look at a big one for me and what I've seen in, 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 in rotaries is attaching those clusters quickly uh, uh, within reason. And you're talking about maybe there's a target there of four seconds. Operate the platform at efficient speed. And again, you know, you're trying to operate it so as that you're not chasing yourself. You know, that you're, 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 you're you know, that you're, you're in the, the one position or not the one position, but you're, 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 you're beside the bridge. You're standing close to the bridge. Now, what I mean by that is where the cows are coming in. If you're standing fairly close to where the cows are coming in, um, it means that the platform is working efficiently and you're getting those clusters on fairly quickly as well. And I suppose keeping, keeping the platform moving. If, if you have a start stop situation, what tends to happen is that, you know, it disrupts cow flow, the cows coming in as well. Efficient use of the backing gate. And I've seen a number of systems now whereby, let's say you have a rotary parlor that's 50 or 54 uh, bale, you know, each revolution of the, of the console or the platform, the, the, the backing gate automatically moves in that space to take up the space of 50 or 54 cows, which is, I think, which is a great idea. And again, we'd nearly want to be in the milking parlor to explain this, but swap between round the circle and applying two teeth cups at a time when applying clusters in in, in a rotary parlor to avoid this repetitive strain injury as well, you know. Um, so, so I suppose, you know, washing up after milking, these are two points that, that, that I've come across and it's from, it's from farmers actually. And the first one is that, um, you know, you farmers use these what is called exfoliation gloves and they're, they're rough gloves so they can actually, you know, wash the clothes a little bit faster or a little bit quicker uh, than with your, with your normal nitrile gloves. And the other thing that the farmers use is the, um, it's just the, uh, a high pressure power hose with the, with the, or with the, with the, with the top cut, cut off it there. You know what I mean? So it says you have control over it. Uh, that's something I've seen as well. It's working well for farmers. Um, the use of a slot drainage system on the cow stand area, I suppose that's a little slot um, alongside where the front cows, are, where the front feet of the cows are. And instead of washing the parlor from right from the top to the bottom and all of that flowing, you know, that, that, you know, dirt, uh, uh, you know, and, and water is going into that drain, drainage slot system there. And it, it works quite well as well, particularly if you're building a new parlor. And I suppose the other thing, and it, this is my own thing, is, is just periodic washing with a high pressure power hose will also keep the parlor clean because look at, it's a factory. It's a food factory that we're, we're dealing with. And if you, keep it, if you keep it clean consistently after each milking, it's easier to keep it clean. And that's the type of, 
you know, that's the image that us as dairy farmers should be actually putting out there. So look at the last slide, uh, Stuart. Benefits of a good milking routine in consistent production of top quality milk, increased power efficiency, consistent milking, and, and Andrew mentioned that in his, you know, cow's love routine, you know, the same, whether, whether it's myself or Andrew or Stuart or Michelle are milking, you know, it's the cows are being milked the same way. That's really important. Reduced repetitive strain injury, herds are getting bigger. So what we got away with a number of years ago, we may not get away with because of the fact numbers are bigger now. Less mastitis and lower SEC, ultimately you'll have a more profitable, profitable business as well. So that's it, Stuart. Um, very, very good, Patrick. I suppose, um, Patrick, just to put it in context, I suppose, just taking Aidens as an example, maybe. Um, how many minutes were you able to save that time when you were, I think, was it 20 minutes you were able to save and just yeah, improving routine? Yeah, it was, I think it was 18 or 20 minutes we were saving, yeah, just by, and like, in fairness, Aiden had a, had a relatively good routine, you know, to start with anyway, Stuart, you know, so it's amazing even by, by, by you know, by tweaking, by tweaking um, um, uh, little bits and pieces, you know, so for example, Stuart, um, Aiden was actually going out of the pit quite a bit, mm. and when we, when we told him the number of times he went out of the pit, he didn't realise it, you know what I mean? Yeah. Because he was he because he was so used to it, you know. So, I I would say as well. Sorry, Stuart. Now I I'll finish with this. But I would say if you if you want to maybe study or look at your milking routine, get somebody else, get somebody to watch you for the whole milking, and it's amazing what you'll actually pick up. If somebody has a cell count problem, for example, I want to look at their milking routine. I will actually always go out doing milking, and I will say to the farmer, do it the very same way as you do it all the time. Just because I'm here, don't do it better, because I want to pick up. I want to pick up maybe what you want to, you know, if you want to tweak it a little bit, if you understand yeah. it, you know, you'd pick up an awful lot and watch them maybe, maybe when they're a couple of rows in, that's when they'll, they, they might be doing it well the for the first like, couple of rows, but yeah. they won't, you know, they, they, they'll go back to their old habits. Yeah. Yeah. yeah there's one question here now as well, Padraig, um, what signs are you looking for to remove the cluster when the cow is finishing? It, that's if you don't have automatic cluster removal as yeah. well. It's just, you know, there's always a glass bowl, um, in, in, in most uh, claw pieces on most clusters and you're looking at that you're looking at that number one and you know a, a, quick, a quick visual of the, of the other as well and uh, uh, Stuart you know what I mean that make sure that it's milked out and that's, exactly, that's the yeah. cluster alignment piece as well of course isn't it absolutely yeah it's really really and important so it's, it milks out yeah the cow milks out evenly yeah yeah. and I suppose if people were having a cell cone problem that's something that they could look at but it's especially important if people are installing new parallels because I've actually seen it happen yeah. where a parlor was a new parlor was fitted into an existing building we'll say and yeah. the alignment was actually off and the farmer had cell count trouble at the start of it yeah. and once the alignment was corrected then it actually straightened it out because as as you yeah. can see obviously it's logical enough the cluster was hanging funny on the cow and yeah. it's not milking out fully on the four quarters so that was absolutely that, that problem that, that's a very good point Stuart actually and I've seen the same thing myself and this is no fault of the of the milking machine companies either you know it's just maybe depending on the size of the cow and where the, you know, where the, the, the points are, you know, so it, that's, a, I think you're after raising a very important point there in terms of cluster alignment, which we take for granted maybe sometimes, you know? Yeah, exactly. Because as I said, it was a new parallel that was being installed and it, yep. just the alignment was wrong for the yeah, way absolutely. the cows were going to be that, standing. Yeah. It was cockbacks slightly behind the cow. Yes, like. yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and just the final thing as well, I suppose, Patrick, people often, like when we do this together, um, in physical, in milking parlors mm. when we're doing these uh, events generally and when we're doing the new entrance courses and stuff, you always have a bit of tape on the, the clusters down through the, the milking parlor. It's a yeah. useful tip for people who 
want to try to change their routine now maybe over the next number of weeks while things are quieter like yeah, absolutely, Stuart. And something, I, if, when I go into a milk and parlour, I have, a, I have a, a, a roll of yellow insulating tape. So, so, you know, and I put them maybe at every five clusters. So I put it on the, the long milk tube coming down from the, from the milk line. So that's a kind of a cue. That's, that's my fifth cow. So when I transfer that cluster, I've, I, spray the, I spray the number of cows that I've taken off the clusters off of. Do you know what I mean? It's just, it just kind of, it's trying to put a template there for particularly if you're training people. Yeah. you know what I mean? And I find it quite handy. And, and, and trainees have said to me, yeah, geez, that's a great idea. It doesn't, as Andrew was saying earlier, it doesn't, it only costs, a, you know, 50 cents a euro, whatever it costs, you know. So again, yeah. just trying to put stuff in place for particularly trainees, yeah. Visual triggers, like. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. 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 Very good project. That's excellent. Thanks very much. So our final speaker today now is Michelle McGrath. As I said, Michelle is the Assistant Cell Check Manager, um, a Program Manager with AHI. And she's going to talk about mid-season mastitis control. So we'll let you start away there. So, um, Michelle, thanks very much. Thanks, Stuart. I guess I was very. There were very interesting presentations there before me, and it just made me think about um, mastitis. Really, we try and look at it from a holistic approach now, and that there are many different factors involved. And even what Andrew was saying about the cow flow, um, like. I would always say that just from a health point of view, you can spot a sick cow coming in um, and you need to know what their normal behavior is so you can identify the abnormal. And um, then what Todrick was saying about, you know, intermittently power washing the parlor, that's very important just from the hygiene because like wherever cows are coming in contact with, with bacteria, that's, that's really how they're going to pick it up. So, you know, people sometimes are looking for a quick fix, but there isn't one and it's all little bits joined together. And I just think that's from this morning, it's very obvious as well. So I'll get back to what I was going to talk about. Um, so this is just one part of it. And you probably all have heard most of this before, but um, can you hear me okay? Yeah, it's, it's yeah. Hot. you're just going to give us a refresher, even if people have heard it all before, yeah. it's, it's, it's important. <laughs> you'll always pick up something. I think I, I even listening to the others this morning, you, you, you'll always pick up something. Um, so as you probably all know, there's two types of uh, causes of mastitis, contagious and environmental. Um, the contagious, the source is the cow. Um, or the milk from the infected cow or her skin, and then the environmental is from the environment that cows are in. And you mightn't think this is that important at this time of year, but you know, after a wet night or if the cow is in a mucky field or has lied in a dung, you know, they can still pick up bacteria. So um, it is, it, it can be a problem in the summer as well. Um, and just to go through how important it is to identify these quickly and. Uh, importance of recording the cases so you can highlight or identify if you're having a problem in your herd and what and to do something about it and okay, then just, just uh, move on your slides there it's um, michelle it's okay not, it's not after going forward yeah. so um as i was saying the causes um so the contagious are staph oris and strep are the main ones and they're transmitted during milking um and then environment are e coli and strep and through the environment sources of muck or dung or just mud, and which are more of a problem in wet summers, which would be plastered one, I guess. Um, so, like Podrick has gone through a lot of this um, about um, the spread between from you know dirty gloves or 
poor liners or just backflow of milk between um, infected cows and non-infected cows. So why you wear gloves is because they're smoother and easier to keep clean than your hands. And, and if they do get very dirty, you can just change some liners. You okay? Yeah, you should be able to see it there now again. Were you not able to see it? Sorry. No, it wasn't moving forward. So, so you're there now, I think, is it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, liners, so the rubber of the liners naturally uh, deteriorates um, due to time. And then this is further enhanced with uh, the detergents that are used. So um, especially with um, numbers of herds that are the herd numbers that have increased, you might um, you might forget how quickly or how often you need to change the liners. So basically it's 2,000 milkings or, or six months, whichever comes first. But 2,000 milkings doesn't actually be that long adding up. Um, so just there is a simple uh, equation to work that out. Um, but it's basically 2,000 by the number of milkings and divided by herd size multiplied by two if you're milking twice a day. Um, so, um, so, yeah, and damaged heat ends as well are, and poor, poor machine function contributes to transmission. Why this is a problem is um, the damaged heat ends have little crevices in it that um, bacteria um, like to live in and increase the risk of mastitis. Um, and they're also, at, um, at this time of year, they attract flies, which can um, spread mastitis. I think you're in control now, sorry, Stuart. I am, yeah. Okay, so how you can prevent um, this bacteria, um, the, as Podrick mentioned about proper uh, post, Milking disinfection, um, and he uh, um, correctly said that you need about 15 mils and to cover the the teeth properly. Just I suppose as well to uh, we, we recommend to use ready to use disinfectants now because in case you're having a problem with water on your farm, if it, if just in case it mightn't be properly clean or and then it's it's better for to make sure that they're mixed to the correct um, dilution um, and also to use a registered product because there are some products out there that um, mightn't be uh, registered so they could actually cause more problems um, and then wear gloves as I was saying the hands are a reservoir um, to the routine maintenance of milking machines um, like this is what I was saying you need to have it's a, like a multidiscipline really you need to have your milking machine technician regularly checking your machine or and the liners and all that because um you know it's you need advisors vets you know it's, everyone needs to work together uh, because really a vet or isn't really going to know much about your your milking machine but um like even i was talking to a farmer yesterday and he was having a lot of mastitis and it, it was because the pressure was wrong on his clusters and the teeth ends were all um, overgrown and they were getting a lot of mastitis that way and when he sorted the machine out it was it was okay again so just and sometimes it's gradual um, and you it might be building up slowly and you might it suddenly becomes normal so just um, you know as um, Andrew said kind of take a step back sometimes and, and have a look um, and then uh, just to milk the infected cows last 
or uh, use a separate cluster if that's not an option. Because um, especially in cases of staph mastitis, the, the, the next five or six cows can become infected just from that one cow. So that's something to bear in mind. Um, um, with that. Um, and so then when it comes to environmental bacteria, how they're transmitted, as I was saying, it's the wet and dirty environment. So this comes back to Andrew's, um, where, where he's on about cow flow and, you know, you want to avoid buildup build of manure in, in, in the roadways, um, which, which he gave some great tips on, and um, around water troughs and gateways. Because sometimes I think we forget that cows spend a lot of time standing in this area and, you know, they can get a splash of dirt or, or whatever. Um, and then the poor field conditions in, in wet summers again. And I guess to keep the others clean, it's, it, you need to clip their tails really, especially, I suppose, more earlier in the year, but when, if they're on ration and there's calamagna, you know, they, they become quite loose quite quick. So, um, and, and if you probably clip them before they're, they were dried off and it doesn't be long growing again. So I think we recommend around three times a year to clip their tails. And sometimes if you, if you need to um, blame their others, I know Stuart is a big fan of that, so um, it's helpful as well. I and think it's I think it's a good idea, Michelle, as well. Like time now is a good time actually to start clipping tails again because um, yeah. we're in a dry spell now at the moment, so yeah, it's, it's feasible to do it. And yeah. like I think uh, last August, now hopefully we won't get a repeat of that, but it was it became it came a very wet August, obviously. Yeah. and dirty tails contributed to causes of mastitis and no yeah. different to May just gone as well I suppose month yeah. May was a wet month and a, there was a kind of a, a proliferation That's what I of know. mastitis yeah yeah, yeah. and it does, it's not a huge job like if you just did a like you're probably not supposed to do it while you're milking but if, if you have another person with you you know it, it's not it's not a, it doesn't have to be a huge job um and then I guess you know we don't really recommend the teeth washed unless they're dirty because the water kind of loosens up the bacteria on the rest of the cow or the other and if you are washing to dry them with clean paper towel and not to, not to have a communal uh, rag as was the case back in the day um, and then just to, the good to maintain good teeth condition um, because it can attract flies and, um, especially this time of year. And that fly scenario can vary from farm to farm, I suppose, depending yeah. on kind of the locations, we'll say close to rivers, that kind of thing. Sometimes you'd see parlours and maybe Padraig and Andrew have seen it too, um, that there are certain, just the way that, yeah, a farmyard can be set up, that there might be a lot of trees that can be very high yeah. fly burden in, in those areas compared to other parlours. Although last night I, I actually milked it with my dad and oh my God, the flies nearly, I've never seen the legs, but I was thinking of this this morning. But he was saying, actually, it's worse if the if you get a wet or a good evening during wet spell, which I guess makes sense. If it was very dry summer, you wouldn't have as many flies. But I, the cows, like one of them, picked it off five times. So I, was, I, I kept my cool though, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, yeah, just to to monitor for a rise in the bulk tank SCC, you know, to keep an eye on every result because it can creep up. Um, without you realizing it. Um, and this monitoring the filter for clots, I guess, comes into play when you have a lot of other milkers. I know one, one guy I was talking to recently, he used to hang up the filter from the previous um, milking 
just so the, the next milker could see it. And um, might like might work for some places, but um, I guess he could just write it down either. But there's not always somewhere to write these things down, I guess. And then yeah, um, Padre was on about four stripping, and like a lot of the bigger herds probably don't do it. But if you can do the ones, if you're milk recording, and you can do the ones that have been identified as with a high cell count, and use the CMT to to identify the problem quarter, because you know you might have one really high quarter with high cell count and the other three might be normal so you, you need some way of identifying it um, in the subclinical animals anyway and then they're just to monitor clinical signs as I said you probably all know this but they're just I just included lameness there because sometimes they can become lame if if they have mastitis um, and then like we're trying to encourage people to collect milk samples now before they before they treat them for culture like not just at the end of lactation, but as, as the year goes on. And I know from last year, Padraig is a good advocate for this because you want to build up, um, uh, you want to kind of get a profile of the bacteria that are in your herd and which will become helpful um, at the drying off period. And then, oh, I, I had um, inserted for this last point here to record all your cases. Like a lot of farmers probably are recording it in their own programs, but if you can, send it to ICBF. There is a text number there, actually. Um, it's 0894577663. Um, if you text tag, or text mastitis followed by the tag number, they'll automatically upload it. And even if um, if you do this, like if you group cases or that, it's just um, when it comes to the end of year, um, when you're trying to see what cows have had mastitis, it'll make it a lot easier to, ident to pick out the ones that will definitely need um, breakout tubes. Uh, so yeah, you can go on to the next one. So this was just to give you an idea of um, how good you are at controlling your mastitis. Um, so really, we want to all be under 150, which is, um, is achievable. But just like even I was reading there yesterday that even a cow that's over 300,000 cell count, you don't realize how much she's uh, you're losing on her, but she's on average losing will milk two liters less per day, which over the lactation is 150 euro at least. And like that actually doesn't be long adding up if you have 10 or 15 cows with 300. Um, and so basically, when you know, if 150, 250 mightn't sound that bad, but um, if you have cows and their cell cancer are over 200, you need be checking them out really because um, uh, that's kind of the trigger point we say because they could as they, it could be just going up or it could be coming down or some some um, some cases like some bacteria like staph they um, they go into microapsis in the udder and they're only shed intermittently so um, they could have be a chronic case but you, you just mightn't be realizing it but definitely if they're over 200 you need to be investigating and then once you get over 400 you're you're at crisis point and you, you're not in any control and you need to, to get help which that's quite stressful as well michelle i'm sure you're um yeah dan and, your, and yourself now probably are the people that get the calls in relation to that kind of stuff maybe more so but like it is really really hard to deal with when you're yeah. getting constant mastitis and that text message is coming through and obviously depending on what co-op you're getting, there's a penalty being applied every yeah. time that that comes in and it's just, 
uh, a lot that, of hidden that won't costs. contribute to a good 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 uh, temperament in the parlor anyway so. yeah. <laughs> and you're watching antibiotics as well going in yes that's true yeah yeah it's very stressful yeah so yeah i just said i'd mention about where we're trying to encourage more people to milk record and, and icbf have announced yesterday that it's up 22 percent this year which is great um it just it gives you more information about the cow and um i just a few points in it we're recommending at least six recordings um per lactation that might sound a lot but you, you need to have one early and one late um, to, to, to get an idea of um, a cure rate in the dry period. And then um, four times in between is really, you know, it's not that often then in the summer, but it'll just give you more information and, and you'll miss less cases. And you'll probably have a better idea of, of what bugs are involved as well when you're looking back. Um, and it will identify the chronic cases and you know, it, it's worth remembering as well that all cows, you know, some cows can't be cured and really you just, you need to get rid of those. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> the polite way of putting it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I just, if you have time, I just said I'd go just highlight a couple of points here. Yeah. Um, like I only put, there's two sheets that come with your milk recording, but this one in particular, I think sometimes people forget to, to look at them, you know, and um, it gives, some great information it's at the top there it's um yeah it's um the star system and really it, this is just benchmarking your herd and you want them all to be over four basically if they're under four um there's room for improvement and if they're under three then you're in trouble so um and then just the somatic cell count below it gives you the, um, the bulk tank cell count on the left there um for the previous month and below that, it gives you the percentage of herd, which are over 200,000 SCC. And it gives you how much milk you're losing. And then the graph just shows the, the difference um, between um, the recorded herd and the bulk tank and what you want it to be. So, and then below, I think this is very useful. This one on the left, it just shows you um, uh, the, the recent infection rate. This, works by if the when the previous SCC was below 200 and the new SCC is over 200,000 and um, they give you a target so you want it to be less than seven percent if, if it's over seven then you need to be doing a, a better investigation and then the one on the right just shows the cows that are have um, had chronic are chronic infected for more than two recordings if their SCCs are over 200,000 and again it gives you a target so these are just they're useful information in the milk recording, and I think sometimes it just gets a bit forgotten. So, uh, but they're uh, like, and it, and it can be daunting to go through them all. But they're like, I'm sure the advisors or vets or um, your tax advisor are, you know, they're used to reading these. Um, so just ask for help. That's it, I think. Thanks. Okay, thanks very much, uh, Michelle. So, um, I suppose. There's just one question there. Is there any research to back up how effective non-antibiotic treatment are in controlling mastitis at farm level? So I'll, I'll uh, ask you to give your thoughts on it in your role currently, and then I'll, I'll throw in my top and say if need to. Non-antibiotic treatment, is it? Like, yeah. Like, you mean garlic? Bolus? Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, the bolusings. Yeah. Uh, 
And uh, in relation to the garlic bowls, I don't think there is any research yet. I think with those, um, the VC ones, are, they have some research done, I think. But um, I guess like we'd all love if they all worked. But what I was trying to say from the start is, you know, they're, they're kind of like trying to be a silver bullet. And I, I don't think from what I was trying to say, there is a silver bullet to fix mastitis. You need to look at, you know, all the different parts. Um, and if you've all those, um, if, you, if you've looked into all those and sorted all those, then maybe there is a role, but um, I think you, you could spend your money better elsewhere at the start anyway. Yeah, I suppose we, as you said, Michelle, we don't have any research into, into them to prove that whether they do or don't work, I suppose. And the one thing that Dan often says, or always says actually in relation to it, is that we need to be aware that um, cases, of, there are, there's about 50% 50, 50 of cases, and I'll have to ask you to come in here now, because I can't remember exactly, is it the gram positive or the gram negatives? Can actually cure themselves? Yeah, self-cure, it's um, the gram negatives, but um, yeah, they do self-cure. And that's a, a thing people haven't heard about is self-cure, um, but I guess, then saying that E. coli is a gram negative and you know you can have a very sick <laughs> That's cow. self-cure them all right they just yeah. won't be there. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah you have to be careful with that but like if you if you know what the bacteria is and if she's not too sick and you know I guess, I guess a lot of it happens during drive period as well so um yeah. yeah well as I think I've said it on on this now um in the last couple of weeks as well like there's been a like I know a couple of lads that have been to New Zealand now, and they they would they would test the the bacteria before they treat, but they'll take right. the sample yeah. when the cow shows up with mastitis, and they'll they'll culture yeah. that sample on farm in a lot of cases to know yeah. whether they want to does that treatment justification that Dennis Howard has spoken about with us before as well. Okay. So like obviously if they're gram negative and it's not in E. coli, it it has yeah. the capacity to self cure, and I suppose. I think the thinking is that maybe that the bolusing is kind of piggybacking on the fact that somebody, okay. a lot of these cases can actually self-cure. So it appears like the bolus has cured them, but they actually were going to cure themselves as well. So okay. it's something that uh, Dan and I were only talking about it last week, actually about trying to do a bit of work to, to see the mm. efficacy of, of the boluses, because as you said, everybody would love if they would work because mm. it's a non-antibiotic treatment. Uh, and if it's effective, obviously it's a, it's a double win then because you don't have to worry about the the effect of the um, antibiotics being in in bulk milk, and then you don't have to you if you're getting an effective kill with it, it's a it's yeah. a win win situation. So, um, so that's uh, that's it for today. Look, I'd like to thank very much Andrew, Padraig, and Michelle for their contributions today. I thank Padraig again for his. Um, coordinating at the whole event today. I hope you got something from it. Um, the, the recording will be on available on um, YouTube there probably someday next week. And I've had a request there for the slides as well. So we'll put the slides up on the Let's Talk Dairy webpage on Chagisk as well over the next couple of days as well so that you can look back at them. Just to remind you for next week then that we'll be talking to Francis Quigley in relation to the fertilizer spreader for protected urea and urea and just fertilizer spreaders in general in terms of making sure that they're correct for spreading and then just one final thing for those that might be interested the guy that was on with us last year uh, talking about his career in farming or the role that he has in farming Keen Job Keen has taken over Instagram the Chagas Instagram today he's talking about a day in his life as a dairy farmer uh, and will be well worth tuning into if people want to tune into it 
and that's part of uh, the Nefertiti Farm demo project that John Moriarty is looking after. So if people are interested, that's up and running there and you can tune in there during the course of the day. So I'll just finish up with that by saying uh, thanks again to Padraig, Andrew and Michelle. I wish you all well for the week and see you next week. That's all for this week's Let's Talk Dairy webinar series. And don't forget to look out for more bonus episodes each week. I'll be back with our usual Dairy Edge interview on Monday, so do listen in then. I'm Emma Louise Coffey and thanks for listening.